You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 187 for April 8th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about working during the recession and the coming recession and making the best of it. So you'd better go to work on your side hustle because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Bill in Northern California. Good afternoon. Doug in Scotland. It's evening over here, so good evening. (laughs) Sonia in Utah. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you again. Yeah. And uh, Heather in Southern California. Hi, all. And Stephen in Calgary. Hello. All right. So we've been talking about this for the last like 10 minutes since we started up the the back end on this, but I can't remember the last time we had uh, all six of us on here. Sonia's, it's been a while since Sonia's been on because she's been killing it at her work and, and doing a bunch of stuff. And I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid the only reason you're on here, Sonia, is because of our current situation. As I mentioned in the intro, it's March 20. Uh, well, it's actually April as this is appearing, but we're recording on March 29th and we're all deep in the midst of uh, nearly a nationwide stay at home lockdown order. Not quite nationwide, but pretty close. So yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, field work's kind of kind of dried up, I would imagine, eh? It's slowing down a lot now because uh, everybody wants to get their crews out of the field and keep people safe, which I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But we were doing a project just a few weeks ago in Ridgecrest, California, and in fact, Richie, who's watching this, was on um, was on one of the was on the crew. And I'll tell you what, the lockdown hit California right in the middle of that project. And since we were working for the government on government land, I don't know if they deemed us necessary or not, but they kind of let us fly under the radar knowing there was only two or three days left of the project <laughs> when that happened. So we were able to finish it up and now we're report writing, but we squeaked that one in right at the uh, right at the last minute. So, But I don't know if it matters because they were trying to get it done real fast so they can start construction in this area in the next month and a half or so. And that seems incredibly unlikely just because everything's getting pushed back, which is what we want to talk about today. Because on the last episode, and I don't want to make this all about coronavirus. I mean, that's obviously what's causing this whole situation right now. But what I want to focus on is the potential problems we're going to have as knock-on effects of the economy in the situation that it's in now, the world in the situation that it's in now, and all businesses in the situations that they are in now, and how that's going to impact us moving forward, how that's going to impact us as not only people and individuals, but as a profession. So, what is going on here? What is what is going to happen? I think we'll start with Sonia because 
Sonia, you haven't been on in a while, like I said, because you've been working pretty hard and now you're here because yeah. you're at home. So yep. what is what does your business look like right now at the end of March? In, the, in, in what's supposed to be the beginning of the field season. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to get a bunch of field work wrapped up before everything shut down. Mm -hmm. And we got a little bit of work done, but everybody's starting to get twitchy. And when I say everybody, I mean both field crew members and our clients. They're starting to get a little twitchy and concerned. And we're working really hard to try and keep our uh, employees as safe as possible. Uh, but at this point, we're kind of shut down and I am working my butt off trying to get work coming in to keep people employed. And it's not easy. It has been very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm here now simply because, hey, I've got time. So let's do this. You know, at the same time, I'm like, hey, I'd rather be out in the field with my crews because staying at home, me being at home or me not working kind of blows money. And my business is small and can't afford to do that. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you think you're, I mean, that's what's happening now. How do you, uh, yeah. how do you foresee seeing that and keeping going for this field season? You know, I'm, I'm really hoping that people can just, you know, stay at home for the next few weeks, uh, flatten that curve and stay healthy. <laughs> that that's, that's the only way that I can foresee us being able to get back to work and starting to move full force. The biiggest difficulty in my business is an, or in our business uh, together is is keeping everyone healthy because we're all riding out in the same trucks. Uh, we're all uh, using uh, the same or at least equipment that's assigned to us. And that equipment is going back to the field directors and the crew chiefs every night. And if your field directors and crew chiefs are getting sick, you know, uh, <laughs> they can't get you out into the field because you guys may not be permitted to do that. So we're working really hard to try and keep everyone healthy. Um, obviously, archaeology is kind of the epitome of social distancing, mm -hmm. except when you're in the truck in the morning or having your health and, sa health and safety meeting. Right. And. Uh, that that gets really tricky. And I, I don't I don't other than having asking people to drive out into the field themselves, which I really can't do or I I personally don't like to do. I, I don't know how to I don't know what to do to to keep everyone healthy. If one person gets sick and infects the rest of the crew, we are uh, up a creek <laughs> to put it very PC. Yeah. So uh, in terms of uh, future work, once that work starts, we are hitting the ground running. Like I've got I've got crew members knocking on my door saying, hey, can you put us to work? And I say, I want to, you know, please give me your information. As soon as we are given the go ahead, we are going to go. Uh, but I still have to keep you healthy or you still have to keep yourself healthy. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a, a team effort, just like completing a project is. That's right. You know, this has been just like I can hear in Sonia's voice has been like on my heart. And not only there are some of us that, you know, probably are going to be, you know, we're, we're still going to be working throughout this. Hopefully my concern quite a bit is keeping work for the field techs. And making sure because, you know, they're the ones that are in a real precarious um, position. If not, you know, if they miss one day of work, they're not paid. And they miss one hour of work, they're not paid. And so 
you know, right off the bat, we, my company, uh, we started developing a protocol, um, a real stringent protocol, which in the beginning, you know, a few people were a little, little frustrated with, but the idea was to keep everybody safe in the field. I really personally think that the field is the safest place for everyone at this point. We have, depending on the project, you have a lot of space in between. We do have certain situations that can be somewhat dangerous when it comes to, you know, sharing uh, tools and everything, but we have mitigated that uh, with our protocol. And some of the ways we've done that is uh, we only have two people in a truck. If we can avoid it, only one person in a truck, but we have teams and those teams that we have a 10 day rotation, let's say for one of our projects. And we have bought enough tools so that everybody has one, one tool per, uh, we have, let's say we have four people in a team and we have four sets of tools and those tools are now color coded and only one person uh, uses that set of tools throughout the rotation. They are also required to wash each one of them every single day. And if for some reason there's some kind of change uh, that has to happen, you know, sometimes people have to change tasks or you don't need wet screening anymore or whatnot. And uh, then it gets cleaned before it, there's any use change. And then, you know, we have all all of the uh, cleaning equipment we have, everybody has gloves on. Everyone's required to wash all their clothing every single night um, or bring 10 or however many. If you only have three sets of clothes, then you're washing multiple times during the week, not every night. So we have a very specific set. It's a five-page protocol that uh, people, we did a full um, Zoom training on it and nobody's allowed in the field without that. We also have a checklist that nobody can go out in the field without acknowledging that they are completely symptom free and that we have accountability amongst each other where there's a team lead and that team lead has responsibility to report any change in people's conditions. So we've tried to put as many protocols out there as possible so that we can at least control what we can control. And then we've also put protocols on, on people's movement outside of the field as well. Um, we are, it is a, a project where people are are living um, at the site, not at the site, but they're they're not leaving at their homes and going home. So, I, I mean, I think the best, yes, I understand some things do need to be shut down, but I do think that the field in some respects is some of the safest. Uh, the other thing is, you know, in excavation work, we're not having multiple people per unit. We're very controlled in how we switch materials such as buckets. Um, there's a protocol even on how to put up an easy up. And we thought it out really well. It took a, it took a few days to do it, but we did it. And I think uh, we haven't had any cases. Everybody is, is respecting it and everybody's still working. We have a large crew of people working right now. And I think the protocol is part of it. It has also allowed our you know, our clients to understand that we are taking this very seriously. And actually some people have, have taken a lot of our ideas and, and use them moving forward with their company. So I think people just, um, if you can, I know that there are some projects where it's out of your control and the client has already called it off. I, I've had a few of those projects, but we are still working. Uh, and we're in California, one of the strictest states right now. So I don't think people should be giving up. And I'm not saying anybody on this broadcast is, but I'm just saying, you know, there is hope. We just have to be very intentional in how, how we go out in the field. I'm curious as to the, 
activity and behaviors of the field technicians and other people working on the crew uh, when they're not working. And I know that's been a sticking point in normal times where where employers like to say, hey, don't do this and don't do that after work. And that ends up blowing up in their faces because you can't tell somebody what to do when they're off the clock, mm-hmm. right? However, now, if somebody decides to go out or congregate with other people that are not the crew members, they stand a fairly decent chance right now of bringing something back and infecting the whole crew. And you guys won't know it for two weeks. Well, the thing is, they're outside of the area. From Nobody knows anybody in the area that they're in. So it's a it's a remote uh, area. So that's right. that's why, you know, part of it is, you know, you have to also look at the environment that the project's in. So because we are in a remote area, it's a lot more controlled. The only people they have to hang out with is each other, <laughs> really. <laughs> and we also have, I mean, our company has gone so far as we are hiring industrial cleaners that are coming and on, at the company's expense, we're cleaning the hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. So okay. we don't even have the hotel cleaning staffs clean the hotel rooms. We are hiring people who specialize in industrial cleaning to clean the hotel rooms wow. for our people. So that's the extent we're going to, to, to keep our people safe. Yeah, I have a quick question. Is your crew, uh, are they wearing masks or anything like that? Like additional PPE over what we normally do? Yeah, we had respirators already for another, oh my goodness, the deer. Oh my goodness, I'm blanking. <laughs> but we, this area was all, already known for a few other issues. So everybody's already fitted for respirators. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is that called? Uh that dustborne disease. Yes, I'm just blinking on the neighborhood. Yeah, right. <laughs> valley fever. Thank yeah, valley, valley yes. fever or hantavirus. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that too. So we had already, as soon as that was out in the area, any, uh, you know, we have our safety coordinator is constantly watching to see if there's any change. In, and so on a daily basis, so if we have any projects that have, you know, that have any of those kind of risks, we make sure that all employees have respirators that we, that we pay for and that we fit and that they're trained on how to wear. And so, you know, I, I think as far as in field techs go, the, really encouraging those companies that you do work for to, you know, and uh, adopt some of these kind of protocols, but um, also, you know, identifying companies that are setting up these kind of protocols and have even done that beforehand. I mean, before this, even this whole situation came out with the virus, uh, we we're already doing those things. And I'm sure we're not the only company, but. Mm-hmm. So what are your guys' uh, and obviously we don't need to know your internal Project planning, but of, of what you're allowed to say, what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, continuing through the continuing through the summer with potentially, I mean, obviously people are going to be able to go back to work at some point, hopefully mm-hmm. in the next few months, but with the delay in the, the process of getting started. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, you know, our approach for the company that I work for has been like a long-term approach and we've done this mm-hmm. um, since, you know, we've been through other recessions, right? So sure. our company is historically done very well through those recessions. And the reason is, is that we have a, a diverse portfolio, client portfolio. So we are not heavy developers heavy municipality or heavy energy, we are, you know, we're varied so that if one area, one sector goes down and can't find any work, we're able to pick up in other areas. And actually the way the economy goes, you know, most economists will tell you that if, you know, if you have a slump in one area, there's a balance and it actually Mm -hmm. ends up having more work in another area. And so, 
because of that, we've benefited from that and we've been able to weather these storms really well. In fact, in some of the minor recessions, our, our company has actually grown. And we're actually foreseeing that happening after this as well. All right. Well, has anybody else heard anything about uh, how their how their information's going, how their summer's going to go? Basically, Bill, uh, I saw that the Institute for Field Research basically shut down their entire 2020 field season of field schools that they support. Uh, how's yours looking? Yeah, it's, it's over. It's shut down. <laughs> Is it officially? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We. Um, I was supposed to work on a couple of different field projects, but... Mm-hmm. The one that we were going to do, the field school in St. Croix, we were going to do the third year of it. We had already selected the students. And this last week, actually today, I was supposed to be coming back from St. Croix because we go down in advance and tell the people that we've been working with, our collaborators and the other folks we get permits from, you know, what we did last year, we finished our end of field work technical report. We have, you know, cataloged the artifacts and we were going to come down and tell everyone our status and then also ask them, you know, are there any things that they'd like to see us do, or, you know, is there any suggestions that they have? And so usually it's a series of meetings and dinners. And, you know, we also uh, go back to the site and see the condition, uh, you know, after Mm -hmm. the winter, the first year hurricanes trashed everything pretty bad in in 2017. So, you know, we just try to keep in touch every six months and make sure that someone's going down to let everyone know that we haven't let them alone. It was a complicated thing where the university did not tell me not to go, but they banned uh, unnecessary travel and they banned foreign travel, which meant I wouldn't have gotten reimbursed. And they're the ones who paid for the plane ticket. So essentially money was just trapped. Mm -hmm. You know, so we just, another guy was at Vanderbilt and his university said, if he comes back from any form of travel, and this is, you know, three or four weeks ago, he has to do a mandatory 14 day quarantine, self quarantine, so that would have meant that if he goes, he can't do anything for two weeks. This is before they were actually shutting things down. Right. And so we just decided with these complications and, you know, not being able to actually go down there now, let's just cancel that. And then we'll just wait and see what's going to happen, uh, you know, for the summer. Mm-hmm. Well, in that amount of time, uh, all field classes from the UC system were canceled for this semester or trimester or whatever. And uh, it's all canceled, I think, until, well, you know, see, once again, there's a different layer. All in-person lecture and in-person lab instruction is canceled for the rest of the semester. But the depending on whether you're in a trimester system or a semester, that could be a calendar day or that could be, you know, like interrupted with these other shelter-in-place orders and school cancellations at the county and state level. So they just... It got so confusing, we just decided we weren't going to do the field project. And the horrible part about it is we had already chosen students. And uh, part of this program is kind of like a summer work study or internship, a paid internship. So they thought that they were going to get paid for for mm-hmm. uh, six weeks to do archaeology. And now we don't know if we can actually pay them because they're not going to actually do the project. And they now don't have that job. Right. So, you know, that that's also, you know, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do once the travel restrictions are over, but it's not going to be doing an archaeological field school. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, that is a 
I usually say good spot to wrap up, but there's nothing good about most of the stuff on this podcast <laughs> today. So let's just say there's a, st- a spot to wrap up and we'll be back for segment two in just a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S. TR. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code CRMARC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Sierra Archaeology Podcast, episode 187, our second apocalypse edition. Hopefully, there aren't too many more, although I think we're going to be talking about this stuff for a while, unfortunately. Bill, you were talking about your field school and the impacts that is having not only on the students that were going to take the field school, but expecting to get paid for, you know, working it and doing different things. I'm curious about the UC system in California because I've heard other schools already at like local schools, you know, high schools, elementary schools and colleges across the nation. You hear these various reports of them talking about already delaying or canceling the fall semester. And I'm like, that seems a little premature, but have you heard anything about that? I'm sure there's summer classes that may have been canceled already, or maybe they're holding off. I don't know. But what about the fall and in the ongoing fallout of this? Yeah, the fall is supposed to happen is normal. And also they're predicting graduation is normal too. So Nobody has canceled any of the UC graduations. That's just a rumor if anyone's heard that. We're not delaying anything in the fall. Uh, The summer, though, you know, that's up in the air. Online classes, obviously, are still going to work. Field courses like field school, field biology courses, um, unfortunately, graduate students who have got funding and permits to go do summer work, that might actually be impacted. But we're planning for everything to be back to normal, you know, the way that it was in the fall. However, like in the time being, essentially university has transformed into an online Khan Academy type thing. And so (laughs) some people like me, you know, who have ever used the internet, it's not as difficult for me to do a screencast or to actually give variations of the lecture I would have given, you know, anyway on the internet through Zoom uh, and then record that too. And also I'm realizing that Zoom's recording capability, don't rely on it. Just use open broadcast mm-hmm. software, OBS. Just go ahead. It's not, I don't know if we're looking for 4K resolution or whatever, but I have not seen a single Zoom recording that has been recorded correctly 
because it's not recording the actual screen. It's doing something else. Right. That if you switch to another user, then they don't, a lot of times it won't actually record what they're showing you. So that's just one suggestion. But just in the the overall universe, you know, I, because of what my wife does at the university, I get to see how they're fixing the problem of how you pay people who are hourly through this and, you know, how, how you can, you know, find ways to get computers all set up so that everyone can work and continue doing their same work at their house while they're, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sheltering at home. And so, you know, the university, at least Berkeley, they're having to overcome a lot of hurdles. Like, how do you hire an individual? Uh, how do you get them through the whole HR process? How are we going to conduct all these interviews? But also, how are you going to manage your teams? And how are you, as an individual, going to work at your house and still perform the same amount of work? Like they're working through all that in traditional spaces where folks were coming in every single day and working 40 hours a week. They're finding ways to get this thing uh, to work. And what I would hope is that a lot of folks will end up, we spoke about this last week. I hope that a lot of folks would end up working at home, but also my students haven't been super receptive to this new Zoom world. They don't, they kind of don't like it, Yeah. but I do, I do feel like getting rid of the boring part of the lecture where everybody's zombieing out. But if they don't learn that piece, then there's no use of even going forward. Like get those technical pieces that have to get done, you know, do those through Zoom or record them as screencast mm-hmm. or something like that. And then just have the collaboration in class activities and the discussion that be the actual class. I mean, a traditional hybrid class. I, I would hope that we would see more of those. I, I've been having a lot of Zoom meetings too. Um, not too many more than I normally do because my entire existence is basically online. I work with people remotely all the time, doing these podcasts, working with clients. You know, a lot of my stuff happens remotely, so not a lot has changed except for a lot of the people I'm talking to. Sometimes I'd be working with a client, and they would have you know ten, twelve people in a conference room with one camera shining on the conference room and, and horrible audio coming from everybody because there's a tiny speaker in the middle of the table that's picking everyone up. However, now it's so much better because everybody's at home and they have their own camera, their own microphone, and it's actually working out a lot better for me. Uh, that's the other thing too, is people are, you see all these articles going around about up in your Zoom game these days, you know, don't forget you have your, your camera turned on on your laptop when you take it into the bathroom with you and uh, <laughs> make sure you mute first. Oh man, I hope people are not. Oh my God. I hope that's not part of the meeting. Come on. Definitely see a few of those. Definitely mute. I have a question, uh, Bill. So I was wondering, since you said your students are not real crazy about Zoom, what, I mean, have they said anything of what they think should be used? I mean, I try to, I have a 19 year old and a 16 year old. I try to be open-minded to what others think, uh-huh. especially since a majority of the students are going to be around that age. Have they had any suggestions what they think should be used? Well, it's not that they want to be around each other. Oh, so well, they, they want to yeah. actually, you know, interact with other humans. It's not Zoom or any of the other. They're able to figure all that stuff out. It's nothing like my mm-hmm. kids who are home until May 1st with this web of different apps that somehow corporations have tricked the school district into buying. And so they're like, part of math is on this. And then you have to go into Z-Learn for that. And then it's all on Google Classroom for that. And you're like, uh, the the email you just sent me is so elaborate that I could have just had them do 55 math problems, just do them. And yeah. then, you know, I don't understand why we're doing these five different apps and half of them are games anyway. So it's like, uh, so what, 
the university students are dealing with is not being able to actually go to class or be around other humans. They're stuck in their apartment, which the, you know their entire situation has changed because you know now I'm teaching a class on three different continents because they there was a issue that the university would prorated give back people their money for the student housing if they just went home. And also a lot of students' parents were like, come home now, you know, get out of there. So uh, sure. there, a lot of them are here in California still, but I've got, you know, folks in China and uh, Korea. Uh, I think a couple students who are from uh, African nations. Sorry, I don't actually remember what countries they're from. Yeah, you know, I've I've got to find some kind of way to teach this class across three different continents, which is not, it's not going to be fatal, right? But I'm just saying that, Folks don't have the same amount of access to resources. They don't have the same amount of access to internet, but I'm supposed to teach an online class. Fortunately, I'm just using one platform and I don't make them go through a whole bunch of other stuff and they've just got to use their devices to upload stuff into that. Uh, But I am trying to be mindful. You know, some folks don't have any internet where they're at in Texas or whatever. And so they're just, I don't, I don't know how they're getting me messages, but they are, they're somehow turning in assignments, even though they don't have internet. Yeah, I think that that actually seems to be, and I, this isn't the crux of what we're really talking about, but, you know, that having uh, one, my daughter, who's a dual enrollment high school student, and then my son who's in college, is that is a, I hope that, and we talked about this in the last podcast, that the way that we're reacting to this kind of situation where we're forced to do things on the internet is that we start rethinking how we do things when we're not in that situation. And when it comes to universities, I have found that there are, you know, each one of my daughter's classes, she has like five different platforms she has to be on just to complete one class. And that's, it's, it's not right. And I think some people need to get the ego out of it and the, you know, these, uh, some professors that, uh, and I, I understand, you know, I taught also at, at the, uh, university level, but it's, you know, sometimes you have to just go, may not be what you really want to do, but you have to go with one platform and maybe, maybe there, I, I guess maybe there isn't a platform that can, that can suit all the needs, but to have students have to do for one class, five different yeah. Uh, manners of access, accessing the internet. They're talking about, you know, they bring dogs to school to to eliminate or to at least mitigate the stress that these kids are going under, but yet they don't yeah. have a problem with making them go on five different stupid platforms to just get one homework assignment done. It's just not right. It's And it's completely yeah. the antithesis of what's coming out of their mouth. It, yeah. It's uh, frustrating. Well, it doesn't work is all there is to it. It just yep. does not work. I mean, we're we're way better off finding some kind of way to replicate the in-class discussion type thing on the internet than we are having five people go to five different internets that all have different passwords, different operating systems, and then force them to retrieve some kind of data, do some kind of intellectual exercise, and then come back to us. Well, we're already there. So why don't we just have the exercise happen on the platform that we're all, where we're all at, right? Right. It's the same thing with meetings. I just had a meeting with someone last week over Zoom, which we all have been using Zoom. And I'm, I I hope Skype's listening. Man, it's way better than <laughs> Skype because we used Skype for a long time. And that was, you know, now we're on Zencaster because of Skype. But yeah. at any rate, I guess they were saying that their workflow is going to go to uh, Google. Oh, man, I can't remember. Google Groups or something like that. And I was like, oh, right. no, because... We already have Slack and we're putting stuff in Trello and doing it on Zencaster just for this one thing. 
And I'm also yeah. putting stuff into Slack and then, you know, using the university system, which is uh, G Suite based. And, and, you know, so it's just stretching too much junk across unnecessary systems. Well, it's because people are trying to replicate in-person classes onto the internet, whereas people who create online courses, one, don't do it over a weekend after they've been told, congratulations, you need to have an online course by Monday. Yeah, I hear that. And <laughs> like, it actually takes like putting together an, a good online course and really thinking it out on a single platform um, so there's like universities like in the UK, Open University, it takes them two years on average for, to put together an online course. And that's, you know, that's really thinking it out and doing it and specifying it. And online is not the same as in person. So when you're trying to, everyone's trying to replicate, ooh, what we're going to do on Monday if we're in person. Okay, so now I need like something so they can share a document because they would have been able to do that around a table or their desks. Okay, so we'll use Google Docs. And then they're like, oh, wait, we need to um, be able to talk to each other. Okay, so let's try Skype. And it's because people just haven't thought it out and been basically given, I don't know, Bill, how, how much time did you have to throw together your online courses? 48 hours? Zero. I spent two years. <laughs> and also, not only that, but it's a uh, artifact identification and analysis class where the second half of the entire course was working with the museum legacy collection and cataloging it. Mm -hmm. So we, there is no precedent like without actual artifacts. I mean, I'm like, well, maybe I can just 3d scan 1700 artifacts and let them all look at all these different pieces of porcelain. And, you know, gee, that won't be cumbersome or, you know, trilobites. I don't know. It's not trilobites, right? Right. Anyway, uh, tons and tons of data. So yeah, I was I was like, okay, now we're just doing something completely different. Sorry, sorry for those of you who wanted to learn about Chinese and Japanese ceramics. We don't have access to that collection anymore. Maybe just take the course again in two years when I teach it again. You know, looking at the bright side of all this, though, I think that I think that this whole situation is showing us where some of the holes are in a lot mm -hmm. of the systems that we're using, not just education, but in our work processes as well. How many people have been told this job does not allow working from home? You can't work from home with this job. I mean, sure, if you're flipping burgers from somewhere, you can flip burgers at home, but you're not serving them anybody. But, uh, you know, it, it makes it really difficult. But there are so many jobs where people have been told you can't work from home. And now people are working from home and they're figuring it out. And Doug, I think to your point of, you know, colleges and, and different places taking up to two years to put together an online course, which don't get me wrong, I put together my podcast course and it took me six months to finally get around to getting it all complete and done. And that was from slides that I already had finished. It's just getting it recorded, getting all the things in place and, and doing those sorts of things does take time. But I think we're finding out that the MVP, which people in the software world know is the minimum viable product, is actually much lower threshold to actually get this stuff out get it working and just get people interacting with each other. And I think that's what we're finding. Yeah. It'll take two years to put something together that is super high quality, really looks good and everything's well thought out, but you really can do it in a weekend if you needed to and, and have something that still engages students, gets you engaged and keeps people learning. I think that's one thing that we're learning here. Well, yeah, you, but you'd have to just, they have to sort of realize that it's a, a sunk cost and just, not try to replicate the current course and just basically say, Hey everyone, we have a group blog on WordPress. 
Right. Your limitations are WordPress, so comments and doing posts and stuff like that. And that's how we're just going to do the entire class. Or they should sure. do, look, we just are going to use Google Docs. Everyone leave comments. You write, you rewrite. That's going to be the entire course from now on. It's just going to be Google, Google Docs. And that's what people should be looking at doing is if, if I had that, I wouldn't try to replicate everything I've done online or in person. I would just basically say, all right, folks, this is the minimum tool we're going to use, whatever that is. Maybe it's Skype. Maybe it's Trello. Maybe it's, I mean, there's, I don't know, how many hundred different things you could use on the internet sure. um, to communicate or run sort of groups. It, it, I would say it could be Yahoo groups, but they closed that down. But, you know, <laughs> Google groups, something like that. There's so many different things. And instead of sending people to like 40 different uh, resources to try to learn 40 different things, to even be able to get to the point where they can even do the exercise, is they should, yeah, just pick one, maybe two, and then just redo their entire course around doing your course on Google Docs or WordPress yeah. or Squarespace or Facebook um messenger or you know right. F facetime whatever it is you need to do but i think that's the problem is everyone's just sort of freaking out and also people i think there's a lot of pressure in that you know how many tens of thousands are people paying per semester mm -hmm. to have a university course and they're not going to get that money back i don't think i mean i haven't seen any widespread universities being like oh hey by the way here's your tuition back because <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh -uh. As, as Bill laughs there, yeah, that, nope. that hasn't happened. So I nope. think everyone's freaking out and thinking like, oh, we got to try to give them the best possible experience because yeah, they're paying 10 grand to work on a Google docs, um, class. Yeah, no joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, our, our society, because we're, becoming more and more technologically savvy. My husband and I were just talking about this. Our one-year-old granddaughter basically can, you know, take a remote and change the channel, turn off the TV, do whatever she wants to at one year. Like the, we were, you know, when we were, we weren't, we couldn't even, you know, work uh, an iPhone for a while where if you put it in, in our children's hands, they can, they can pick it up so quickly. But um, because we're so enmeshed in, in technology, I think that we use it when it's not necessary. And I think we've gotten away from the true spirit of why we do things. Um, we're not as intentional anymore. We're like on autopilot. So when it comes to teaching, you know, what is the purpose behind teaching and giving tests and giving grades? It's a true evaluation of whether or not the people know what they're doing. It's not, uh, you know, have they been able to absorb the information and actually Re really understand it and now be able to regurgitate it in a meaningful way where they have true understanding where now, you know, a lot of these universities are just, it's the whole thing is to catch people cheating or, you know, a lot of these mechanisms, uh, technologies are based on, you know, based on, like I said, catching people cheating or, or making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the same thing with work, you know, we have so many extra things. I think I probably waste two hours of time uh, trying to keep up with technology and, and do, doing things to make sure everyone knows I'm working instead of just working, mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah. and yeah. and it's really slowed down the process. So all these things that are supposed to be making us more efficient are actually making us quite a bit less efficient. And um, I do have one question. So for for uh, Bill and Doug, what about these, you know, what about the virtual collections? What about, you know, we're getting more and more out there. Uh, we do some work with creating virtual collections. How about using those, maybe you already have, for implementing mm. your lab classes? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely thought about that because the the entire project, like I have my own reasons behind this. The, the idea, because I'm already working with the digital uh, archaeological comparative collection of slavery. Oh, it's DAX. I can't remember them all off my... Anyway, DAX, uh, they are digitizing or making uh, artifact databases available for folks. And so the stuff we do in St. Croix, all of our artifacts go into DAX and all of our uh, excavations and field recording stuff is in accordance with that, right? So uh, I, I'm already trying to you know make some kind of database that I can compare across sites. But because it's the um, archaeological comparative uh, slavery archive, it stops at the mid-19th century, which if you're in the West, that's barely useful, right? So I've been trying to figure out ways that I can still use these DAX methods to catalog uh, 19th, late 19th and early 20th century artifact collections. And this is kind of the test patient for me being able to, you know, Teach students who know nothing about historical artifacts how to identify artifacts, you know, within a range of uh, um, accuracy, but also to be able to enter this stuff into a database. So using an online collection, I thought about using some DAX data, but the problem is we never really got to the point where we were creating data. So I spent the first half of the class identifying artifacts and we were supposed to spend the second half talking about cataloging and database management and data, just entering it and then using it and analyzing it. So we never got to that point. So mm-hmm. I can't just take these digital collections from DAX that are already supposed to use the system or a variant that we were going to use anyway, like they haven't been trained in that. And now I'm supposed to try to do that through the internet. So yeah. it just, you know, it just changed it a little bit, right? So there's stuff from the collection that are made of different materials. And really we did focus on a material based, you know, uh, identification system because they're historical artifacts. So they'll split into groups and do a a concentrated research project on how archeologists conserve and identify certain kinds of artifacts that would have some representation in this collection. So they end up working together to become experts and then they have to present their material just like we have to these days on Zoom present what we're doing to our supervisors and explain what we've been doing. Well, they have to do that same thing, a short mm-hmm. presentation. It was going to be in person, but now it's actually going to happen you know, on the internet. So they don't get donuts because we won't be together, but they still end up having <laughs> to do... Like at the end of the project, they were still going to have to do this anyway. Now they have to do this on Zoom. Yeah, and And they don't have live artifacts. They have to go and get databases and articles and talk about things from other places and other sites and then relate them back to what we just learned in the first half. So it's going to work out. I mean, fortunately, my class wasn't uh, the fact of them not being able to touch artifacts is one thing, but like it wasn't so hard for me to try to figure out new assignments and ways to complete things on the internet. But I can see how some people who had these classes that are just, you know, sit around for three hours and talk about books and then write one paper at the end of the, like, that's going to be, that would be a horror story. That'd be like eternity webinars, three hour webinar (laughs) with no form of focus, which is why I also didn't like those classes as a graduate student. 
And then there was just some junk paper we slopped together the night before and then get an A. Like that that class is going to be the one that you don't get your money's worth out of. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break right there and come back for our final segment and wrap this up with hopefully some, you know, uh, predictions or solutions for working for the next uh, three to six months, possibly way longer. Back in a second. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the final segment of episode 187 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And uh, I don't know how long we're going to keep on doing this, but uh, anytime that we can and is easy to do, I'm going to. But we're actually broadcasting this live on Facebook as we record it. So if you have a Facebook account and you want to watch that, go over to facebook.com forward slash arcpodnet or search for the Archaeology Podcast Network, like the page, and you'll be notified when we go live. So, um, and we've got a few comments over there. We got a few people joining in on the conversation. I've got Amy and uh, and Chuck checking us out and, and leaving some good comments. I'm going to leave that for the Facebook audience. Those will also show up if you go over to Facebook and and rewatch this video. If you want to listen to this podcast and see the the video as it happens, then go over and take a look at that. So. Anyway, some comments I had while you guys were talking in the last section, uh, in the last segment, some things I were thinking about. Doug, the first one uh, was some related to something you said. You know, you're right. People have been told to 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 figure out remote recording and 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 doing classes, and not just classes, but working remotely and and figuring out how to collaboratively share documents and things like that. And I think it always goes down to something I, I constantly say on the Archaeotech podcast, which is use the easiest and most efficient tool for the job. And I'm a huge digital archaeology proponent, but I always say, hey, sometimes a clipboard is the best thing you can use in the circumstances, right? Uh, if the technology just isn't there, use your clipboard. If something isn't working, then don't use it. Figure out the best thing to use for that situation. So I think that goes for this. And I, and I hope we're all learning something about all this. And it just isn't an annoyance that we forget when we go back to our quote, normal lives. I hope this opens us up to a uh, literal world of possibilities for collaboration. So that reminds me as well. Um, we've got two women on the line and we've had lots of podcasts and lots of times on the Sierra Mark podcast. And we've talked about you know, women working in the field while pregnant, things like that. And, and, you know, people get laid off and they're like, Oh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't work anymore because I'm pregnant for some reason. But I think we're showing that, Hey, there's a lot of work you can do remotely. So hopefully those attitudes start to change as well. I mean, obviously it's difficult to do some types of field work at certain end stages of the pregnancy, obviously just because of the discomfort, but there's plenty of stuff you can do, whether you're pregnant or injured or in other ways compromised that you can't, 
do your quote normal job. I hope again that this is opening us up to the to opening our eyes to the fact that there's a lot of things that we can do remotely and through these tools. And hopefully through this time we figure out what those tools are. And also something to Bill said, you're not being able to handle artifacts and deal with that. You know, things like 3D documentation of artifacts is always sort of an extra side thing that gets happens that gets done to to artifact collections. You know, they get recorded in a way that can be put onto a website and people can manipulate these things in three dimensions and and check them out. And we're not quite to the point where everybody has a home 3D printer and can just print these things out and play with them. But I think we're getting pretty close to that. It's just uh, I, I want to know, I, I hope I should say, that attitudes towards things like that and the 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 digital representation of archaeology and artifacts will be put more uh, on the forefront versus the back burner. And if we get money, if we get that grant, we'll scan everything and then put it up in a database. Maybe it should just be the way that we do things. Um, so these things can be accessible by more people. And if there is a, a crisis like this or something happens, we don't have no access to the data. There, there are billions of artifacts locked away in file cabinets and in rooms right now that literally nobody can go see because the people controlling those are sheltering in place at home and you can't, you can't get in there. So it's a, it's a huge problem. Um, but I think for the last 10 minutes of this podcast, we're going to shorten this segment a little bit to make up for the others. I really want to talk about solutionizing some of this stuff with you guys, um, especially like Heather and Sonia um, and Steven, those of you that are working for companies right now and how we think uh, other things maybe that we can do to work through this recession and, and not really, uh, how do I say it? Not really, lose much in the way of uh, productivity and work. I mean, people still need to work. So what are the kinds of other things we can do? Obviously, Bill could speak to a side hustle. He's been a huge promoter of the side hustles. And I think a lot of people's side hustles are going to become their front hustles here real quick when they <laughs> when they realize they need to still make some money. Yeah. But what are some solutions that we can talk about? Heather, we talked about, you know, your company and and how you guys are, are coming up with some solutions. But Sonia, as far as you, you said... Uh, you said when you, when we were able to do field work again, you're going to hit the ground running. Well, what if that's six months away? Then it's going to have to start uh, fast and it's going to have to start strong. Uh, hopefully everybody will be healthy by that time. Yeah. Uh, it'll And when I say it'll start fast, I mean, it'll start fast. Like everybody is going to start working. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, those who aren't will be. And the difficulty is going to be finding finding the right crew for the job. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I, we do work in the in the southeast as well as in the western part of the country. I try to keep my crews specific to those areas because, honest, honestly, uh, the best people that you're going to get in the field in the southeast are going to be people who have who have experience in the southeast. You may be able to send a f one or two Western archaeologists down there, but honestly, they're going to have their their hindquarters handed handed to them. Um, because it's a lot different type of work, uh, at least to begin with. You know what I mean? So, and the same goes for Southeasterners coming out to the West. Um, we're, we are, we're not limiting crew to their regions of expertise, but we're certainly going to be careful as to how many people we put on crews so that we don't have an abundance of regional special specialists uh, in another area. Does that sure. make sense? In another region. 
I, I mean, th these are all things that management tends to think about when mm -hmm. we've got folks from, you know, the Pacific Northwest who are like, hey, I need a job. Where where are you working? And we're like, well, we're doing a job in Mississippi right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, they do shovel testing up in the Northwest, but it's a little bit of a different environment with different risks. One of the first things that uh, that I learned while I was down there is, you know, don't underestimate the water. Because there's right. lots of scary stuff there, you know, right. and the heat, the heat in the West is it feels a lot different than in the Southeast. And people aren't from the West aren't ready for it. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful about that. Obviously, we still want to maintain a lot of the precautions because my concern is that when we start back up, we could have another rise in another rise in in COVID-19 cases mm -hmm. because people are being complacent. They're being less yep. careful. And we don't want to do that either. Right. I mean, we saw this back in 1918 during the Spanish flu, or uh, I, I guess we just call it the influenza uh, back then. It was it, it 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 settled down and then people started going back to normal and it spurred back up again. And and that whole situation lasted a solid year to 18 months, I think. And yeah. and it's because there was another rise in the in the um, in the disease. And that second rise was the most damaging. Sure. Both to the economy and to the population. So we don't want to become complacent either. We have to be careful. Right. So, you know, we want to hit the ground running, but at the same time, we don't want to be, um, we don't want to be unsafe. Yeah. Not before it's ready. Exactly. Yeah. For people planning ahead, I, I think people are also going to run into the problem that there actually are not going to be as many projects. I think lots of people are sort of on this idea and it's being propagated, you know, across the media and by economists that somehow the economy is going to shut down, but then it's going to bounce back, and it, it, we're we're going to have like a, they're calling it a V recession, where it's really sharp down and bounces right back up. But we, you know, three million people just applied for unemployment mm -hmm. the week before. So by the time people are listening to this in what a couple of weeks' time might be six or nine million people or five or it'll be definitely more than three million people will be unemployed. Right. And it, it's, it's going to be patchy as well. So like certain states, certain cities, certain parts or certain countries, we're going to see a peak and then get back to somewhat normal at different times. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a huge difference. But I think everyone's just thinking like, Oh, we're just going to shut down for a couple of weeks. And then when we come back, we'll just hire everyone back to the exact same job they were at. <laughs> and all the projects will still be there. But I mean, I, it, it's a bit difficult, but I can tell you right now in the UK, we're seeing projects that are closing down that are never going to open back up. Sure. Loans were taken out, all this sort of stuff. The developers just going to cut their losses and that's going to be it for that project. It may come back in a couple of years, but I think there is going to be a, a big rush of people trying to catch up on all the work they had. But then it, after a couple of months, we're going to probably hit like a cliff's edge where suddenly there's just no new work because the economy mm -hmm. still hasn't come back. And 
I think people need to really prepare that like, we'll try to catch up on the projects we have right now. Uh, but some of those are going to be canceled and there's not going to be a lot of new projects coming through for a while. And I, I think just a note on that uh, before we jump over to Heather, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that we still have the workforce. Like Sony was saying, we hit the ground running. There's going to be a lot of projects that want to start right back up. But I have a feeling with the volatile nature of just being a field tech and having to do something else, anybody that does find another job right now or that does find another way to earn money, uh, when this all does start up again, we could lose a huge portion of our people because you know they're they're going to move on to something more stable and something that's less reliant on you know on our current world staying the way it is uh, when we're in a normal state of affairs. One yeah. state will the state next door will open up before a couple of weeks before sure. your state does, and that's you know everybody bails. Yeah, yeah. field work is regionalish um, yeah. across. Usually, you can usually work across a couple of states, so if one either doesn't like fully close down you're still able to work or, you know, it's going to be all over the place. So I, sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, any field crew that you had now, if you have to let them go, they're probably not going to be there in a couple of months time when you're looking for them again. Yeah. Hard to say. That's a really great point And something that we've, uh, that we've been talking with our, our regular crews about, and we try to remain as flexible as we possibly can. Um, most of our regular temp employees, so folks that have worked for us repeatedly, are pretty good about keeping us posted because they like working for us. We like working with them. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's other folks who are newer, who are like, uh, uh, you know, who are right now desperate for jobs and eventually are going to be like, well, I can't wait. I can't keep waiting. I've got to go take a job as an essential worker somewhere um, right. doing something where they can at least get a paycheck now. Right. And, and that's completely fair and that's totally understandable and fair. And I think that's going to be one of the challenges that we have when we say we're going to hit the ground running. It's going to be a bit of a challenge finding the right crew for the right location. Mm -hmm. I do want to add a little something just from, from the CRM management perspective a bit of advice for for those that are in the in the tech position understand that all almost all management have been where you are right now and we get it and um you know if you want to stay in this and and we hope that you know those that have a real passion for it and love it are able to stay with this and and able to you know survive but please take a deep breath understand that some of the decisions that are being made are not being made in opposition to you and you keeping your job. In fact, it's the, it's the antithesis of that. We're, we are trying to keep not only everyone healthy, but we're trying to make sure that the company is solvent. And the reason that that is important is because that's how people keep their jobs. Um, without the companies, you're not going to have the work. So, you know, please just take a deep breath. I know it's a really uncertain time. I know it's scary, but take a deep breath when you hear something and don't assume that people are trying to mess with you or people are trying to screw you over, so to speak. Try to have a bigger picture and ask questions. Be, you know, be workable. Don't um, look like you always have that, this uh, lion to fight all the time. Understand that we're all in this together and we're all trying to survive this together. And that also includes management and yeah. 
trust me, there's a lot of us. And I know those of us that are on the phone right now, because we've talked about it before, we, we lose sleep over not being able to produce work and have work for those people that we feel responsible for professionally, make sure that they can provide for themselves and their families. And so, you know, honestly, the people that are workable in the field and that are, you know, not necessarily agreeable, but that understand people's roles and that are out there with a good attitude, those are the ones that are going to get the work. And that's just the reality of it. And so be one of those people still ask questions, but be workable and don't assume the negative. Right. Can I second that as well? Like um, coming from the UK. So I work for fame Federation of archaeological managers and employers. It's like ARCA, but for the UK and I've spent the last week talking to most of our members and so many employers are so worried about their staff and people are like talking about how they can defer their tax bills for six months so they'd be able to make payroll to keep on as many people as possible and hope that they can make it through that this doesn't last six months. Like there's tons of people who are super, super stressed at the management level, mm-hmm. trying to be able to keep on as many people as possible, or at the very least, give people a couple of weeks um, let down so that it's not like sorry, you're out of a job on Monday and we don't know when we're ever going to give you another job. Like so many people are stressed at the moment, just trying to be able to figure out a way to keep their organization and their employees employed. Or I, I know you guys can't see it, but it's an air quotes employed because, you know, <laughs> with no work, there's it's a bit of like, hey, guys, can you uh, work from home? Uh, one yeah. day a week. I mean, like people were talking, asking all their employees, hey, can we go down to like two or three days a week instead of five so that everyone can stay on longer? Um, everyone's looking at how, how long they can burn through their reserves with that. It's super stressful, but so many people in management are trying to figure out ways to keep people employed for as long as possible. Right. All right. Well, before Doug throws us into uh, bonus time here, I think we'll uh, <laughs> cut this podcast off right there. Listen, if you guys got any good solutions, I know uh, Heather talked a lot about about a lot of great stuff that her company is doing. If you guys have any other solutions that will benefit other listeners to this podcast, please comment on the APN Facebook page where you see this released when you're listening to this. If you're on Facebook right now, uh, in a week and a half when this comes out on April 8th, um, if you're listening to it in real time, again, head over to Facebook, leave a comment down there, and then maybe people will see that and see the uh, the other solutions that we have to some of these issues. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks to the Facebook audience for coming in, and uh, we will see you guys in a couple weeks, hopefully. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question in a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we will see you in the field. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. Hang in, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean...
Doug, uh, Doug really doesn't have anything to do. Doug, come on, man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. If if coronavirus had a sound, I would input it here. <laughs> Just for Doug. Bye. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.